Well, good morning, Community Church. Why don't we stand to our feet as people are making their way in? This morning, we get the honor and the privilege of coming before our King to give Him glory, to praise His name, because He is so good. Tyson, come on up here. I'm going to get you to pray. Why don't we just, for a minute, just begin by speaking to the Lord in prayer and inviting Him into this place. Oh, Father God, we give you glory this morning. I can already feel your presence just falling in this place, God, and we just want more of you. We want to come today, not not for us, God, but we want to come and just give you glory, God, that you would come and rest here this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would feel welcome here this morning, Holy Spirit. We love you. We ask you to come and just dwell and be here and be with us and, and teach us and guide us and fall. And, and, and Father, even that heaven would just be still going, okay, there's praises coming. There's praises coming. Jesus, we just come to you. We come to you and we long for your presence today, God. We long for you to come, Jesus. And we welcome you, Father. Let's worship him this morning. And you ready? Bless this man in Jesus' name and all he carries. Thank you, Father, for your power, your presence, your life. God, we say in Jesus' name, Lord, let your word liberate. Let it illuminate. Let it clarify. Let it encourage. Let it, let it uh, divide between uh, spirit and soul. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, bring clarity today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not going to be too long, and I did want to, I did want to go back into worship at, at the end because I wanted to, at the beginning of this message, I wanted to do one simple thing. I wanted to magnify Jesus. I wanted to highlight that this kingdom is entirely centered upon discovering who he is and the extent of the glory and the majesty that is hid in Jesus Christ. That when we are worshiping, you know, we're not just singing songs. In fact, I was thinking about this while we were worshiping. And I was thinking, you know, because I feel, I feel that when I'm worshiping, something's happening inside of me. You know, when Jesus was walking through the crowd, there was a woman who had an issue. She needed healing. And she just thought, if I just touch his garment, I know I will be healed. And so the, she did this ridiculous thing. She presses through the crowd. She touches the hem of his garment, which is not legally to do. She could be stoned for that because she was unclean. I mean, there was all kinds of things there. But she just believed that something would happen when she touched him. And, of course, Jesus, being intuitive, understanding the power of the kingdom and how the kingdom works, he says, who touched me? Immediately, who touched me? And like the disciples are like, what are you talking about? You're being touched on every side. No, somebody touched me in a special way. Somebody pulled something from me. That was, he said, I felt power go out from me. 
Now you have to realize the disciples were completely unaware of this dynamic. And that's always the case. When something spiritual happens, there's a group of people that don't see it, but there's always some that do see it. And for those that see it, this is not figurative. It's not an analogy. It's not, it's not a whimsical, uh, you know, not, not untangible thing. It's tangible, it's substantial, and it's real. Okay, because the things that we do when we are operating in the Spirit, they're tangible, they're actual, they're, they're worth their weight in gold. So Jesus knew that not only did she touch me, not only is there healing, but literally there was a transference of power from me to her. He knew that right away. And so when we're here worshiping, some of us engage more than others and, and, you know, you may watch some people, you may watch Cam up here, you may watch others on the stage, and you might be thinking, you know, that what are they doing when they're doing this or this, you know? And I heard a comedian, a Christian comedian, unfortunately, ridiculing the various expressions of people in worship, basically saying, you know, do you think that matters? And I want to tell you today, yes, it does matter. That what we're doing is not just singing songs. This is not just sound waves. That there's actually transference of literal substances every time we do anything in faith. And we need to become conversant with that exchange because that's what's really happening. And a part of what I want to talk about today is that when we magnify Jesus, something is leaving our being and going to him, and on its way, transmitting from here to there, it's affecting the atmosphere. And that's why we have a, an event last week which, where there was a very simple message, but there was a conveyance through the atmosphere of love and care, the declaration of the word of God, and various things that created a, a transmission so that people were touched by something literal. Okay, this is not just, oh, here's the creative, dancey type people moving their hands as though that mattered. Yes, it does matter, and it does make a difference. And my prayer today is that we would begin to understand that in our connection with the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are ministering, we we are administrating real substances that are invisible to the naked eye, but are as, in fact, they're more real than anything else that you can see, feel, or touch in this room. And a part of our goal as we grow, as we move along in this journey, is to begin to interact with that invisible realm to discover just how substantial those things are so that we can administrate them more effectively. So if you're standing at the back, and I just want to say this, listen, don't, don't, don't fall into that trap of ridiculing, of judging things you may or may not see. I'm going to go into some scriptures here, uh, but I want to say this, that the entire, um, the entire structure of the kingdom of God is based on one commodity, and it's real. It's a commodity. It's a, you know, when, when I say commodity, I'm talking about things like in the natural, when we say commodities, you're talking about pork bellies, which is bacon, Right, right. Grains, wheat, barley, you know, uh, all of these are commodities. 
that cause, you know, the transactions of commodities create economies. And, and, uh, and this is how we interact with the world around us all the time. You give money for lumber and this other kinds of commodities. But in the kingdom of God, everything is built around one simple commodity. And here's what it is. Do you want to know? That commodity is the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is the preeminent commodity that determines how fast, how quickly, or how slow the kingdom of God advances or does not advance. The knowledge of God, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, is the basis on which your entire life will either advance or decrease. Whether your victory will augment or diminish, it's all based on this. Are you increasing in the knowledge of God? And a cursory understanding, you could just superficially read the scripture and find these words again and again, particularly when the apostles are writing in the epistles around the doctrine of Jesus Christ. They're talking about this commodity of the knowledge of God. John in 17.3 in his book, he says, he says, this is eternal life that they may know you. This, not this leads to eternal life, not, not those who have eternal life have the, no, this is eternal life, the knowledge of you. To know you is to increase in the knowledge of God. And so to that end, we have this amazing passage of scripture in Colossians chapter two and verse one to three. And this is what it says, He's, uh, Paul is writing, of course, he says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and listen to this, and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let me just unpack this quickly. I mean, if, if I were the consummate teacher like uh, Jim Donotter, I would camp right on this passage and not, not leave it. But I have so many other things I want to say attached to this. So, but I, I want to unpack this a little bit because he's saying, listen, the people need encouragement and the encouragement that they need is going to be found in one thing, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because inside of him is hidden everything. Hidden. Everything is hidden inside of him. In God and in Christ. And so our whole journey is about discovery. Our entire, uh, from the time we're born again until we die, until we enter into our eternal inheritance, we have an opportunity to increase, to lay up, to store, to, to, uh, to pile on the knowledge of Jesus, which is the essential ingredient on which the entire rule of God for eternity is based. This one commodity. That's why, you know, when, when the Proverbs writer is writing, saying, listen, with all you're getting, get understanding. Right with with all the things you're pursuing, this is of preeminent importance: wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And in in the in the New Testament, they 
the revelation of what that is, it's not just, it's not just insight, it's not just clever ideas. It's a commodity that is emitting from a person that is Jesus Christ. So when we are worshiping him, we are certainly giving. We are, we are, we are honoring. We are, we are, you know, that's why I, I push my hand. I feel like, I don't know what it is, but I feel like there are waves of honor going towards the Lord, and he is worthy of honor. So I'm giving, give to the Lord. And I can't help but, but push, you know, because I'm giving to the Lord. But, but the, what we're getting back and what we're trying to grow in is this, is the knowledge of him, the knowledge of him. There are mysteries. There are treasures of understanding. Father, I pray today, God, as we unfold this word this morning, that we would be gripped with the desire for more of you. God, we want our entire life to be a passionate pursuit of you. God, in Jesus' name. Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So we are looking to magnify Jesus because we are on a journey of complete and utter pursuit for more of him. And believe me, you could spend a lifetime, you could spend a hundred lifetimes and not discover everything that needs to be discovered, which is part of the, part of the challenge. But let me tell you where I've been the last few days. Of course, I've been on a five-day vacation with grandkids and stuff, but I mean, in my heart, <laughs> something kept unfolding yesterday. As, as, I, as soon as I began to meditate on the Lord a little bit, I took a few moments here and there throughout the day, as I often do, because it's hard for this theme to leave me, no matter what I'm doing, but I kept seeing uh, a fog, and it's, it's almost like the kind of fog you would see in a video game. I know nobody here ever plays video games, but you've probably heard of them. <laughs> but, but one of the paradigms that many video games are based on is the whole idea of pursuit and reward, where you're, you're searching for items, treasures, or, or just, you know, exploring terrain or geography. And uh, I remember seeing one game where there is literally a fog. There, you cannot see, but when you send men or your character to an area, the fog disperses, and then you start to discover what is in that area. And sometimes there's gold, sometimes there's other treasures. And there, but it's, the whole thing is, the, is about accelerating in authority, in strength, in levels of attainment or whatever the game is, is built on, however it's, at, however it's structured. But the whole idea of all these games is somewhat similar as we're discovering something and we're increased by what we discover. I want to say to you that this is a great analogy for the kingdom of heaven, that when you become born again, you, you get a level of clarity around your, your life, around your being. Imagine this, if you could just see this picture, somebody getting born again, all of a sudden the fog around them diminishes, and they have a four-foot circumference where they can see clearly. But the rest of the journey now is, how can I increase the scope of that clarity? What is hidden just beyond my vision? And let me tell you, the initial warfare of the enemy 
is all around this. And he's saying this, there is nothing more. There is, there is only what you presently see now. And this is what he's trying to reinforce. And so if you're here on a regular basis and you hear me challenging you to press in, <laughs> it's because there's something to be had. There's something more of Jesus to be discovered. Furthermore, that your position and role in the eternal kingdom of God is predicated upon the, the, uh, the discovery of more of the knowledge of him. One of the things that you take it, you know, this idea that we're going to go into heaven and we're all going to be, you know, images of one another, prototypes of the same thing. We're going to be identical. I hate that idea because there's nothing further from the truth. The truth is... There are layers and layers and layers of different rewards and capacities. Some, it says, will shine like the sun. Well, that's a great reward. But you know what? It's, it says this is a promise. You can shine like the sun or not. <laughs> right? It doesn't mean you have no light. But you know what? When it comes to, and we don't understand this. We don't understand the majesty of what is available. So when the scripture says that there are things in him that are hid, all of the treasures. Father, God, I pray that right now our hearts would be awakened with a new hope. Father, to know that there is something to be discovered, to be apprehended, that is tangible, literal. And each time we apprehend something, it changes our lives. See, the, the fallout, the positive, the happy fallout of discovering something is it brings you into a new sphere of authority and liberty. Freedom is something that you increase in as you discover what is available to you. So this is the scenario of what we have been called into. And so uh, the language that the Apostle Paul and other apostles use is one that's always encouraging discovery, encouraging them, people to continue to pursue. In fact, the preeminent prayer that Paul prays over the Ephesians, he mentions the whole trajectory of discovery here in Colossians, but it's also there in the beginning of Galatians. It's about, it's about a spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's saying, I'm praying that you would increase in the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Well, if we were all automatically going to get the same amount, what would be the point of praying such a prayer? Right? But the reality is you can have a little of that or you can have a great boatload of that. That, and that the journey that you're on is to get more. And what I have discovered in the tiny, you know, short few years that I've been around, <laughs> and it feels like a few short years as I approach my 60th, but it feels like, like there's, that this is so short, but what I've discovered is that the level of freedom I find myself coming into is is stunning is it's kind of shocking i just i'm so excited to discover more of him just beyond the bend and so uh there are many implications for that truth which i don't want to go into right now but let me <laughs> let me continue to encourage you 
This is a journey of discovery. Now, while in prayer this morning, I was thinking about this, and the analogy comes in. I hope this makes sense to you. But there's, I don't even know how to call it. I'm not really a science geek. Maybe I should get Jim to come up and explain this. Oh. Listen, there's this recent discovery, and you may have heard it, and I may not say it right, so forgive me. I'm not pretending to be a scientist. But it has to do with the nature of light and the nature of, of how light operates when it's observed or not observed. Have you, have you ever heard any of this? Anybody ever heard of this? Basically, it's this. It's that light is either a particle or a wave. It's, it's actually both of these things, but it acts like a wave when it's not being observed, but it acts like a particle when it is being observed. I mean, think about that. This is a phenomenal thing, that your, your actual just seeing it, watching it, causes its function to be different. I, I don't understand that even. But the thought of it is interesting. What it does for me is it elevates the, the nature of how important it is for us to see. Let me say this to you. There are tools and weapons that are available to you, but they remain in one form when they're not being observed, but they take on another form when they are being observed. That the discovery of the weaponry of light changes the way that light works in your life. And so God is trying to give us uh, a hunger to perceive on a level way beyond we've ever perceived. And not only that, but he's giving us the promise that it is available. And that it's not God whose design it is to keep it from you. In fact, he says it's the Father's good pleasure. He says, don't fear, little children. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, one of the things you realize as you come along is that, is that the only person impeding your progress is you. And they, well, what about the enemy? The enemy has no power over you if you walk in the things that have been provided for you, which is the next part of what I want to talk about in a minute here. But this is the reality, that there are things available to us that are beyond our imagination. And, uh, and so we want to observe them. We want to understand them. We want to come into them. But between here and there is a condition that was regularly pointed out, <laughs> you have a condition. <laughs> if a doctor comes in, you have a condition, you have an infection, you have this, you have that. You want to get rid of it, right? Well, the apostles are talking, and Jesus, Jesus started this. But later on, the apostles articulated the same thing. But he says to his disciples, he says, you have a problem. How many of you have a problem? Yeah, you have a problem. So he's trying to tell them something in Mark chapter 8. And, uh, and they're not understanding. And so he says to them, he says, are your, hearts, are your hearts still hard? How is it you don't understand? Okay. That reality, I'm saying this again, and I just preached on this a few weeks ago, and I'll probably preach on it again in a few weeks. But this is the trajectory of our life. We are going from ignorance to informed consent. All right, we are going, we're on a path of discovery. And so that means that what you discover tomorrow about the knowledge of God, and it's often things you thought you, th you thought you knew. 
But all of a sudden you realize that you only knew them in a very small part when you discover more. And then you're, you sort of you revel in that revelation for a while until a year or so or two years later, three years later, you think, man, I had no idea how profound this was. I mean, do you remember when you were a kid and your parents seemed to know everything? Right. And and you, you, you know, you, you thought you were so sneaky as a child and you thought, Mom, how did you know? And then years later, you became an adult and you thought, it is so obvious. Kids think they're so sneaky, but it's so evident when they're lying, when they're pretending, when they're concealing things. Right. Now, some obviously are better than others, but. But the point is this, when you become an adult, you realize that like that fog that's around us, that our ability to perceive beyond our being is limited. And that as we mature intellectually, our depth perception around knowledge starts to increase. We, we start to discern our environment and the factors of our environment much greater. Well, I want to tell you that the same thing is true, perhaps even more true, of spiritual maturity. That the clarity that God is giving you will increase and increase. And there's no limits to the amount that it can increase. You know, I'll just say this in, in passing. Years ago, when I operated in prophetic words, and I still operate in prophetic words, but sometimes I would get an inspiration in a moment, and I would say things over people, and people would say, wow, how did you know that? I thought, that was great. But I, there came a time when I would, I would look at people and I would just instantly know things about them, but it wasn't a word of knowledge. It was just evident. I just, I just could see it. It was just there. It wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't see it and then I saw it. I just look and I see. It's spiritual depth perception. They're just things you become aware of. You just know intuitively. Jesus knew the hearts of men around him. It wasn't a specific occasion where all of a sudden a word of knowledge came. Oh, I see this about you. No, he just perceived. There is a level of perception that we can have as believers. And as, we, as it increases in our lives, it'll affect everything we touch and everything we do. Imagine, imagine being the most insightful person in the company you work for. Imagine being able to see not only technical uh, solutions for problems, but be able to see people problems and know how to diagnose and factor and, and consider and weigh them and fix them. Like the world is, is waiting for a people with actual solutions. And I want to submit to you that those solutions are hid in Jesus Christ and the Father. That the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and understanding are available for us to discover. And it would be a shame that we'd ever stop short of what is available for us. Could you say amen? amen. Now, so in Mark eight seventeen, Jesus rebukes his disciples because he said, listen, not, not hey, don't be a dummy. Well, it's kind of like that. But he's saying because you don't have to stay there. Like, like I thought you would be further along by now. He was surprised that they didn't understand. And that seems to be the universal response of the apostolic leaders as well, <laughs> right? right? They're, they're, they're surprised, and they're thinking, you should be further on by now. And so in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but to carnal, as to babes. For I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now are still not able. You know, we read those things in the in scriptures and we think, you know, well, obviously that's right. Obviously that's correct. But let me, let me ask you, what if it was you? What if a pastor or some leader in your life was writing you a letter and saying to you, hey, Damon, hey, Jim, hey, I won't say any other names. <laughs> I'd like to talk to you about important things, but you're so dull, I can't. <laughs> How many of you would get your backs up a little bit? How many of you would be looking for another church? Right? How dare you talk to me that way? Let me tell you, the language of discipleship is always that way because there's always something else to discover. And sometimes it means we break through a presumption of discovery that we feel we have. Because usually what keeps you from going from this level to this level or this place to this place is the assumption that you already have that. And you don't know that that's there, but it is what's there. It is what keeps you contained. And so the apostles are not judging erroneously or you know, negatively. They're, not, they're make, not making prognostications to belittle or to keep people locked in a small place. They're actually doing the opposite. They're saying, come up higher. Come up into something. You could be freer than you are right now. And the only thing between you and the next tier of freedom is you. That you could have this. You really could have this. There's more available. Now, you don't have to believe that you have all knowledge any more than a parent in their interaction with a child pretends to have all knowledge, but it's a matter of scale. So the other scriptures in uh, Hebrews chapter 5, and I'd like to turn to this one because it's, it's, a great, it's a great passage. Hebrews chapter 5 uh, the writer is talking about Melchizedek, and he basically stops short. He said, I, I, I'm not going to go any further into this. But this is what he says, and this is why he says it. He says, um, of whom we have much to say. This is verse 11 of chapter 5. So concerning Mel- Melchizedek, I have a lot to say about this guy. Uh, of whom we have much to say, and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Yeah, thanks for that. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need again someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. So, why is he saying that? Is he saying that to diminish them? To condemn them? To say, hey, look, I'm better than you? No, he's saying, listen, if you only knew what was available to you, if he only really, well, I read the verse that says, in him are hid all the knowledge and the treasures of wisdom. So I know that. If you're not pursuing it, you don't really know that. You know, somebody told you there are massive nuggets of gold in your backyard. And you never once got a shovel out and began to dig up your backyard. Clearly, you don't believe it or you're very dull. Right? So God is saying, my children, 
If only you knew what I have laid up in store for you. If only you knew how little you have tasted and seen of the power of the age to come, and yet it's all available for you. Father, I pray right now you would fill this room with the hope of promise that creates pilgrims out of each and every one of us. God, that you would fill us with such a sense of uh, promise and possibility and potential that the rest of our days we will run hard in pursuit of you. Can you say yes? Now let me read one last passage of Scripture. Actually, I've got it copied. I'll read it from my here. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Listen to this. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Listen, through the knowledge of Jesus, things are unlocked in your life. And the things that are unlocked are able to allow the release of his divine power inside of you. And everything related to life and godliness. The knowledge of God is the key ingredient that unlocks and releases to you the capacities of being sons of God. Now, if you continue reading, uh, he talks about escaping the corruption that's in the, the earth and, and manifesting the divine nature. If that weren't in the scripture, you'd almost think that would be blasphemous. Who are you talking about divine nature? Yes, divine nature, because when you were born again, a seed was put inside of you, and the DNA of that seed is of a divine one, Jesus Christ. It is, it is the essence of who he is, and he's, like Paul said, it pleased the Father to form his son in me. This is what God is doing. He is trying to unlock the treasure of the DNA that was planted inside of you when you became born again. And, and the effect of that is immunity. The effect of that is the power to overcome. The effect of that is to escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. The effect of that is to snap the power of sickness and disease and death off of your life. The effect of that is to make you impervious to anything the enemy would do to stop you from moving ahead and expanding the kingdom of God. So... Let me close with this. I think it's worthwhile to pursue a little harder. I believe, and go back to 2 Peter chapter 1 there. He says, if you do these things, you will not fail. (laughs) Come on. I've had all these struggles in my life, but I'm sure it's my husband's fault. I have these struggles in my life, but I'm sure it's the church I'm going to. Yes, we are weak. We are imperfect. So go ahead, seek, and show me how to do it better. Come into something that's much greater than me. We're not here, and I'm not up here because I have it all, but we're trying to create an environment where you can pursue, seek, and find. That's the promise of this thing, because God is creating a caliber 
and a class of believer that will stun the kingdom of darkness, that will awaken creation to its promise, and that will fulfill the desire that the Father had before the foundation of the earth, that he would have a family, of a family of people that look exactly like Jesus in character, in stature, in power, and authority, and glory. So, Father, we say today, Lord, we want to pursue you. Can I have the worship team come up? I want us to sing a song and pursue Jesus as we close out this morning. I don't know how long I talked for. Not that long, actually. We're doing good. So if you're here and you're wondering, why are we always being pressured to look for more? I hope that lays to rest any other ulterior sinister motive you might have thought I had. <laughs> it's, about, it's about blessing. It's about destiny. It's about the capacity that God has already given you. Can you say amen? Let's stand together. Father, I want to pray today the prayer that the apostle prayed for the Ephesian believers and what was the intent of your heart when he prayed this prayer. God, I pray for Spruce Grove Community Church or everybody in this room to have an increase in the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. God, we ask that you would awaken faith inside of us. The confidence to know that that if we seek, we will find. And that if we seek you with all of our heart, you will not hide yourself further, but you will give us that which we seek, which is you, Lord. Come on, let's sing. Now listen for a second. The implication of this truth brings us to a crossroads as a people. It brings us to a place where we have to make a choice between blaming and taking responsibility. Because this is the reality. If what's wrong with me can be changed by more of him, then I have no more the option to blame or accuse the government, the world, the church, my job, my intelligence, my height, my lack of good looks, whatever I think I don't have, whatever I think is impeding me in the natural world, it is not. And there's two types of people in the church today. Those that don't want to take responsibility And those that are. And so if you believe what I said this morning, the liberty that God wants to give us is this, that when you run into a a barrier, that you will no longer ever fault anybody else, close or far from who you are, that you will entirely own the problem because the solution is found in him. Not in your wife, not in your children, not in your boss, not in your company, not in your employees, not in, 
This is what God is trying to do. He's saying, I'm trying to raise up a church who realize the problem is not the government, but the problem is we have not yet become what we could be. What if the church took on the task of becoming everything it can be? The nation of Canada would begin to transform around that people. That's the level of the power and glory that's available to us. But it begins with you in the privacy of your home, in the privacy of your individual life. But if you stop today faulting others, you put yourself on a different trajectory of growth. So I want to offer, you don't have to come up, but you can if you want. But anyone who's ready to make that decision today, this is more than becoming born again. This say, no, I want to become all that I've been destined by God to be become. To become, I want to go for it all. I don't want to be halted by my lack of expectation on me. So if you believe this, let's respond in our hearts or respond however you feel. But we want to say, God, we will not be hindered anymore. God, we will not be hindered anymore. I refuse to accept the lowly accommodations of the flesh I refuse to accept that the world around me needs to change before I change I take on the responsibility to be what I need to be for my marriage to work I take on the responsibility to be the son and daughter I need to be to spiritual and natural fathers and mothers I take on the responsibility to be the kind of disciple the earth needs oh God Make this house, Father, make this house a birthplace for sons that will pursue you to the nth degree. I feel like the Lord is giving you permission today. He's giving you permission to cross the line that you've created for yourself. And some of us sometimes just need to hear that we have permission and he has been giving you permission. But I just feel like he's giving you an encouragement this morning, an exhortation, uh, even a push in some way to cross the line. You have permission to cross the lines that you have created for yourself, not the lines that he's created, but the lines that you have created. And so take that permission. It has been given to cross the line and step out. You know, part of that line that Jen is talking about, it's really something we've set up so that we feel safe. You know, I've shared before that I go to Waterton every single year, and I've taken my kids there for years and years. And every year we've taken them down the Red Rock Canyon. And we used to always take them to this certain point. But at this certain point, it was too risky. And I told my kids, this is where we have to stop. So we went to that same point every single year for probably 10 years. I remember going there on the 11th year, and we got to that point. And I looked at my kids and I said, okay, guys, you know this is where we stop. It's not safe to keep going. And my son said, I think we can find a way. 
And I said, but it's not safe, buddy. You're too young for this. And he looked at me and he said, I don't think I am. I think there's a way. And I looked at him and I said, okay, if you think we can do this, I'll follow you. And of course, my son found a way. And for the next five to six years, we went twice as far than we ever went. And we found this beautiful hidden waterfall that we didn't know existed for those previous 10 years. You see, we set up these boundaries for our own safety because it's what we're comfortable with now. But God is saying there is a deeper level we can go to. Not just here, it's going to manifest out there in our daily life, in our jobs, in our schools, when we're going to the markets, wherever we're going, it's going to manifest itself if we begin to trust that we can go further because he is our guide, right? There's always more. That's just the way it is. There is always more. Where you're at now, if there's something that is saying, if this is all there is, I guess I'll manage. No, there's more. Where you're at in your journey right now, it is not the end. There is more. Your frustration in your faith, let me tell you something. There is more. There is more. There is more. The lie that we come in is, this is all there is. That's not true. There is more. So, Father, guide us and lead us. Break the mindsets that we have that that's it. There's no more. This is as good as the journey gets. There is so much more. Our God is infinite in everything that he has. And so, God, we just say yes. We say yes. We will choose to push past our own boundaries, our safety lines, our safety mechanisms, and we will risk for you because there is more in Jesus' name. Well, we want to bless you. We want to bless you online. We pray that God will guide you this week that in every step you take, that you would find that more, starting with right after this service, that when you walk out those doors, there is more in every aspect of your life. So, Lord, guide us and lead us in Jesus' name. Shake someone's hand, love one another, be the family of God. In Jesus' name, bless you.